I have about a three-hour sermon. I'm going to fit into 45 minutes. No. Oh, boy. You know, one of the joys this morning of Easter is not just getting to spend time with, with you know, the, the people we see at church, but really having families come together. And so family members and, and people that, you know, sometimes we don't see here, but we're so glad that you can join us. We're so glad you can be with us this morning. This morning, one of the things that uh, when we talk about Easter, we talk about it being Resurrection Sunday. You know, a lot of times we actually talked about this last week. We don't just worship a risen king on one day, right? We worship a risen king every day. And so, it's, yes, we, we put a special significance on this day. We, we celebrate this day. But we remember the risen king always. We believe in a risen savior this morning. Amen? Amen. We're going to say that a lot. I'm going to say that a lot because the cross is an easy thing to believe. How many know the cross is easy? We, we, we know throughout history people were executed on the cross. That's just a historical fact, right? To believe that he died is simple. But to believe that he rose again is something entirely different. To believe that he died is simple. So we, we spoke about our symbol of faith last week. Our symbol of faith a lot of times is the cross. To have a cross means you're a Christian, right? It's a signal to strangers and loved ones of what the cross means for us, what it holds for us. And I love the cross. I love what the cross stands for. I cherish the old rugged cross. Amen? So the Bible, we talk about that, that song, I cherish the old rugged cross where my burdens at last I lay down. But I said this last week, and I'll say it again this week. The hallmark of our faith is not a cross. The hallmark of our faith is an empty tomb. It is an empty tomb. It's encompassed by an empty tomb. The cross is easy to believe, but it doesn't sustain my faith. The cross is easy to believe, but listen, my faith is sustained by an empty tomb because to worship a dead man makes no sense. Worshiping a dead man doesn't make any sense. Why would people do that? But to worship a risen king is something entirely different. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that we could come this morning to worship a risen king. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. Lord, we worship you. We, we, we give worship to you this morning. We glorify you this morning. Lord, I pray over the message this morning. I pray that it's your words and not mine. Lord, that it's your thoughts and not mine. Lord, let, let me be humbled and you let you be glorified. Let people hear your word this morning and respond to you in their hearts. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. The cross is an interesting thing. Well, uh, this last Friday, of course, we call it Good Friday. And it's when, when, when we acknowledge that Jesus was crucified on the cross. All the disciples saw the cross. All of the disciples saw Jesus hanging on the cross. The Bible says in Luke 23 that all his acquaintances stood at a distance watching these things. They watched him die on that bloody cross. So I want you to imagine that you're with somebody, you're following somebody for three and a half years. You're, you're with them in ministry. You're close to them like a brother, and now you see your brother, you see your teacher, you see your rabbi hanging on the cross, that, blue, that, that bloody, brutal, deadly cross. And so I want you to imagine that, that now it's later. The cross happens, and now you're, you're, it's later, and now you're just there 
without Jesus. You're there without your teacher. You're there without your rabbi. I want you to imagine the despair people felt. When, when you think of a funeral service, when you think of someone who was beloved, who you love dearly, and now you're, you're at their funeral and you just have the sense of despair because they're no longer with you. Their Messiah had died. And you would think surely at that point depression had set in. At that point, they had to have some depression and, and thoughts that were coming towards them like, why did we follow him? He died on a cross. What, what now? What do we do now with ourselves? That Friday night, I imagine it had to be the darkest night of all. But what they didn't realize, and, and I love this, is that even though it was Friday, Sunday was coming. Amen? One of the, one of the more famous sermons by a man named S.M. Lockridge was, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. A lot of people know that now, right? Because it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen? Luke 24, verse 1 through 12, we're going to go through this together. It says this. On the, very first day, or on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and keep going in the, in the scriptures, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. I mean, you know, that's a good sign. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, say two men, in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Amen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on that third day be raised again. Verse 8 says, and then they remembered his words. Verse 9 says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It seems like nonsense. Right? How can you believe that he's alive? We saw him die on the cross. We saw that brutal, bloody cross. We were all there. We saw it on Friday night. What is the matter with you? We saw it on Friday morning. We were there Friday night together. What's the matter with you? They said, no, no, listen. There was these men. They were gleaming. They said he is risen. He, his body is no longer in the grave. What else are we to think of this? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. I like Peter sometimes. Peter, Peter messes up a lot. I can relate. How many can relate to Peter? How many can relate to messing up a lot, right? Peter runs to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. These were grave clothes. Strips of linen, grave clothes, and now they're lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. It was Friday, and then Sunday came. So the reason for our celebration this morning is because it was Friday, but Sunday came, amen? It was Friday. I mean, it was dark, it was deadly, it was brutal, it was bloody, but Sunday came and it was glorious, amen? Listen, this is the reason for our celebration. 
This is the reason for our jubilee this morning. This is the reason we should be smiling when we see each other. Some of you guys got, got scowls on your faces. Come on, you're not in a Lutheran church this morning. Yeah, uh-oh. Come on now, you're in, you're in a spirit-filled Holy Ghost church this morning. Amen? Come on, let's smile a little bit this morning. This is the reason. Listen, I like the bunnies. I like the eggs, right? How many like the bunnies and the eggs? How many eat too much eggs? Right? Chocolate eggs, you know what I'm talking. How many? Uh, okay, boy. You all in a mood this morning? What's going on? How many know we can have fun with those things? We can have fun with those things. Kids do the eat. How many, how many did egg hunt with your kids this morning? Yeah, some of you guys did that. It's awesome. We can have fun with those things, but remember, we are here to celebrate a risen Savior this morning. We are here to celebrate a resurrected King this morning. See, the kids are making noise. They're getting... How many know it's good to be in a house of the Lord where there's life this morning? Amen? Amen. How many glad to be here this morning? For some of you, that Lutheran line hit a little too hard. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's just a joke, everyone. We come to the teaching of Paul in Corinthians. The thing is this. How do we believe that he is a resurrected Savior? How does that make sense, Pablo? I'm not having the answer. That's a rhetorical question. But how does that make sense? Here, we observe what Peter is preaching in 1 Corinthians 15. We're getting, uh, verses 12 through 17 says this. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, if, Christ, if Christ, we are proclaiming Christ is raised from the dead, amen? If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul is saying, wait a second, if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Those are pretty strong words. Paul is saying, I should just put the microphone down, shut up, and go home. And by the way, so should you. That's what he's saying here. Verse 16 says this. Sorry, verse 15 says this. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For if we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, in fact, from the dead, are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ had not been raised, you would still be in your sins, is what Paul is saying. Paul here is proclaiming, this is pretty, actually, good news. It might not sound like good news, but it is good news that the resurrection of Jesus satisfies our deepest need. The resurrection of Jesus satisfies our longing. Why? Because I, I can't worship a dead man. I can't worship a weakling. I can't worship someone who can't conquer death. Right? I worship a living God this morning. I worship a living, I worship the Lord this morning. I worship a living Jesus this morning. In doing this, he takes us out of the center of it and puts Jesus in. How many know we, sometimes we need to be taken out of the center of our life? Right? 
How many know Jesus needs to be the center of our life? He put Jesus at the center and God who raised him from the dead. I want to look at this uh, in a little interesting way this morning. Go to verse 14, if you would. Elijah, go back to verse 14. It says, instead of saying that our faith is not in vain, we can say that the resurrected resurrection of our faith is well-founded. No one knows what's going on. The resurrection of our faith is well-founded. Or to more, put it personally, it's this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is someone we can trust absolutely. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is somebody we can trust absolutely. Second, verse 15. Instead of saying the apostles are not false witnesses about the work of God, we can say this. That because of the resurrection, the apostles preach what is true. Because of the resurrection, the apostles preach what is true. Paul is saying they are not false witnesses about God. They are true. The evidence for this lies in a few things. You say, Pastor David, how can we know that what they said is true? How can we know that what they said is true? That's a good question. You say, I got questions about God. I got questions about faith. I got questions about Christianity. How can we know it's true? The evidence for this lies in a few things. One is this. They were persecuted, tortured, and in many cases, they died for their faith. In many cases, they died for their faith. This wasn't an easy road for most of them. How do you know an easy road is an easy road? It's easy to walk down it. And then there's the hard road. If everything was false, if everything was a lie, if everything, if there was no resurrected king, if they didn't encounter Jesus after the cross, could they really preach him to the masses? It wasn't an easy road. Eusebius was an early church historian, and he gave these accounts of the early church leaders. Think about this this morning. Just of those who uh, were acquainted with the disciples or were disciples, Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. He was killed by a sword wound. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same manner that Jesus had died. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over a hundred feet down the pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered they had beat that, that he had survived his fall, his enemies beat him to death with a club. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his, his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, Andrew said these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. As he's being led to his death, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. He said the cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. And he continued to preach to his tormentors until two days before he died. Two days before he died. The Apostle John, he faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil 
during a wave of persecution in Rome. You say, Pastor David, I've never heard this before. This is what happens to followers of Jesus. This is what happens to followers of Jesus. However, he was miraculously delivered from death at that point. He was then sentenced to the mines of the prison island called Patmos. And he wrote on Patmos his prophetic book called Revelation. He was later freed and returned to serve as a bishop in modern Turkey. He, dies, he died as an old man, the only apostle to die peacefully. I want you to hear me this morning. This is not a religion or a faith of con men and cowards. It's not a religion of con men and cowards. It's not a faith for those who are weak, but a faith for those who are courageous. What would you say if the same was demanded of you? There's actually reports of Christians who have been quartered. If you don't know what that is, let me share with you. It means they take one arm and tie it to a horse. Then they take another arm and they tie it to a different horse. Then they take a leg and they tie that to a different horse. And they take another leg and they tie that to a different horse. And then they have the horses run in separate directions. And as they do, the body gets quartered. There's other Christian believers who have been filleted alive. If you've ever gone fishing, you know what it means to fillet a fish. They did that to the human skin. You say, Pastor David, that's disgusting. That's horrific. Who could endure that? Why would they endure that? Because they had an encounter with a real risen king. We don't worship a dead man this morning. We worship a celebrated risen savior this morning. And the question for you simply is this. If they questioned you, are you willing to go to your own cross are you willing to be killed for the faith? Are you willing to walk the hard road? Would you say yes? Matt, if you accept Jesus, I guarantee that you're going to need to die for your faith. John, if you accept Jesus this morning, I, I promise you, you at some point will have to die for your faith. Sal, same thing. Mike, happy birthday. If you accept Jesus this morning, you will have to die for your faith at some point. Robert, I wish I had different news for you. But if you accept Jesus this morning, you will, at some point in your life, you will have to die for your faith. And you say, Pastor David, they're not persecuting Christians now. I mean, they're not, they're not going to require our life for our faith, right? Yes, they are. You say, well, not in this country. No, no. Ours is a different death. Ours is a death of the flesh. Ours means we have to put down our desires. Ours means we have to humble ourselves. Ours means that we give our lives to the king. That it's no longer my will, but let his be done. That's us surrendering our lives. And if my physical life is required, then I give it happily and willingly. Because Jesus did the same for me on a cross on a Friday.
It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. History reveals that not one of the men who knew Jesus personally ever denied their testimony about him despite the threats and reality of imminent death after his resurrection. Before his resurrection, a few denied. Afterwards, no way. This proves that any fair-minded observer that to, to any fair-minded observer that these men possessed an absolute, unshakable, personal knowledge of the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The evidence of the resurrection doesn't just doesn't lie with those close to him. I mean, that would be some sort of con game, right? I mean, if it's just those close to him and you go, okay, well, you know, they were close to him, of course they're gonna push for it. I mean, there's money, there's power, there's all sorts of stuff involved with fake religion. The evidence of the resurrection doesn't just lie with those close to him. There were 500 witnesses to him being alive after his death and ascending to heaven. And the skeptic would say, well, well, yeah, but that was friends and loved ones. I mean, that, that could have been the fake. They could have lied. And I would say that's true. There could have been one massive conspiracy, if not for a man named Saul. A man that no one would have ever called a follower of Jesus. A man that, that, was, that was going after and persecuting the Christian church. In fact, it was, his rob, it was his job to root out and kill Jesus' followers. He murdered Christians, and for him, it was a life-shattering experience with Jesus. He experienced Jesus in this life-shattering way. And at the time, he was not a disciple. He later becomes, of course, as we know, the Apostle Paul, and he is one of the greatest witnesses for the truth of the resurrection. Verse 17, going back to where we were lastly, instead of saying that we are not still in our sins, we can say another way this. Because of the resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins. Because of the resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins. If God holds our sins against us, how many know we have all sinned? Anybody here not sin? How many have sinned? Raise your hand. Anybody not raising their hand? Anybody just not going to raise your hand for anything? If God holds our sins against us, we are all lost. We're all lost. We are all lost. Why? Because we all have sin. We all mess up. People say, well, you're a pastor. You have sin too? Yep. Sure do. Have to deal with it sometimes every day. Tries to rise up, you got to put it down in Jesus' name. The foundation for every blessing from God is that God will not hold our sins against us. God will not hold our sins against us because everything hangs on forgiveness. How is the resurrection connected to forgiveness? Isn't, if you say, Pastor David, isn't it the death of Jesus on the cross that takes away our sins? Because uh, 1 Corinthians 15.3, he bore our sins. He took on our judgment. Yes, but I want you to hear this carefully. The connection with the resurrection is important. It says this in Romans 4, verse 25. 
says he was delivered over to death for our sins and I was and was raised to life for our justification. This means that by his death, he paid the penalty for our sins. He purchased our acquittal, right? But now comes our justification. You say, what does it mean to be justified? And if you've been with me any length of time, you know to be justified means it's just if I'd never sinned. It means I'm washed as white as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How many know it's nothing but the blood? And because of his resurrection, now we are justified. The achievement of the cross was complete. And our work of justification was so decisive, Jesus is raised from the dead to do a few things. To validate our forgiveness, to vindicate his righteousness, and to celebrate the work of us being justified. The work of the cross partnered with the resurrection gives you the promise that if you accept Jesus into your life, your sins are washed away. Amen? When we accept the resurrected king into our hearts, we choose to follow him. We choose to follow him even if it means following him to death. Even if it means following him to our own cross. Even if it means following him to a brutal and bloody end for our natural bodies. You may be here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus into your life. Maybe you've heard people talk about it and you say, yeah, just accept Jesus and everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows. That's a lie. How many know that's a lie? Accept Jesus and expect to have suffering. Accept Jesus in your life and expect to have to walk that hard road. Accept Jesus in your life and I would rather tell you the truth now than you believe a lie and get told something else later. I'll tell you the truth now. If you accept Jesus at some point, you are going to be required to die for your faith. You say, you mean they're going to kill me? No, I'm saying that you need to put down your flesh so that Jesus can be raised up in you. When I say what can wash away my sins, it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. When we accept him into our hearts, we are justified. We choose to follow him and is justified, never sin. My forgiveness has been validated. His righteousness has been vindicated. And my sin being washed away, listen to this, causes me and causes you to be celebrated. When you, and when you repent of your sin, when you choose to follow Jesus, the Bible says in Luke 15 that the angels rejoice when a sinner repents. Amen? At some point, you prayed, the angels rejoice. We don't serve a dead man. We serve a resurrected king. And before you leave this morning, I think you need to know who it is you serve. Tim, if you could go ahead and turn up the volume on the PC. I want you to understand this morning who you serve, who we love, and I want you to recognize who he is. I told you earlier there was a, a, a sermon by S.M. Lockridge called It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. It's a fantastic sermon. It's online. You should listen to it. It's fantastic. 
He preaches, preaches another one that's very famous called That's My King. And if you want to know who Jesus is, listen to this. Go ahead and play that. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's in turnless form. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially much. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He survives strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feast. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you. But he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. You can't even beat him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king this morning. Amen. Is that your king this morning? That's my king. Is that your king this morning? Go ahead and stand with me this morning. That is my king. He is indescribable. I love that. 
He is. <laughs> you can't outlive him. You can't live without him. That is my king. This morning, on this Easter morning, I want us to recognize that without Jesus Christ, we are lost. Without a risen Savior, we are lost this morning. If you would, close your eyes this morning. I understand if you got kids and whatnot, you're gonna, it's okay. But for the most part, please close your eyes. I don't want you to hear my voice this morning. I want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I can preach a message and I can share a scripture. But let the Holy Spirit speak into your life right now. I want you to consider this question. Is he your king? Is Jesus your Lord? Or am I living for myself? You're here. And you're listening this morning. But you've never made him Lord of your life. You've never surrendered your will and asked him to save your soul. If that's you this morning, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, would you go ahead and raise your hand? You say, Lord, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to make him Lord of my life. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I see one, two, three, four, five hands. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you just to public, just acknowledge, I need Jesus. I want to make him Lord of my life. If you raise your hand and if you're in this place, I want, I want us to all pray this together. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I invite you into my life. I repent of my sin. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for taking my place upon the cross. I choose from this moment to live for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give him a shout this morning. He's our king this morning. Amen. Three-hour sermon put down to 45 minutes. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we pray over those who are here, over those who are watching online. Lord, we thank you that we are here to celebrate a risen king this morning. Lord, a risen savior this morning. You are my king this morning. Lord, I pray over those who are here and those who are listening. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.